He's here. Very good. Ah, it's so great to see you guys. I'm so glad you are here. We get to spend our second week of school together. It is the second week of our new series that we're doing. And a cursory look at your handout will tell you that we're, we're getting into it tonight, you know? I've, uh, I've been prepping, and I'm a little scared, honestly. And, you know, I feel like there's a lot to this idea, this topic. And I'm a little intimidated by this, to be completely honest, but I really hope that I actually, I'm pretty sure, I think I know that God is going to use this time in your life just because his word is true, because his spirit wants to speak to you in a special way, I think. And so I just encourage you to keep keep your heart open as far as what, what God wants to speak to you specifically uh, through this time, through this unique topic that we're dealing with. I understand it's a pretty sensitive topic, and I want to just try to handle this with the right amount of truth and honesty from God's Word, along with just the care that comes with this very interesting terrain that we're, what we're getting into tonight. So I guess the question that might be coming to your mind is, why, why do we got to talk about this? <laughs> like, why couldn't we have just avoided the awkwardness of me having to be like up here in front of you to talk about sex. Ah, you know, like it's still, I'm still kind of like wrapping my head around it actually. Uh, why, why, why am I putting myself through this? this? Is the real question, you know? And my answer, uh, the answer here is that honestly, our culture and also our inward just inclination tends to distort God's design for a lot of things, but especially, significantly, for sex. Our culture and our inward inclination tends to, to warp, to distort God's design for sex. And as uncomfortable as this can be to, to discuss, to get into, I, it's so important that we get into this particular thing because I believe it is close to God's heart. And as we distort these matters, and as we, we, we twist them for our own, our own aims, our own desires, then it is it's hurting the heart of God and it's not glorifying to God. And if we would just walk in the spirit and live in a way that is pleasing to God and with regard to this area of life, then not only is God going to be glorified, that's what we want, but life's going to go smoother. Trust me. And so and a huge part of this has, our, our problem with this has to do with the self-seeking nature of of this of our perspective on sex. It's kind of like I talked about last week, if you were here. A lot of our problems with regarding love and regarding sex and regarding relationships has to do with every single one of you has your own interests at heart deep down. Just, that's, that's our default. And so unless we have the spirit working inside of us to change us in that respect, to help us to see other people as most valuable above myself, and to honor God and his ways above my own, above my interests, and above myself, my, my gratification of desires, then things are going to go better, and God's going to be glorified. And this is something that we need to, to shift in our perspective for this. And so what I want to dive into is what does the Bible have to say about this? Now, you may not care because the Bible seems 
outdated, perhaps. Or what, what could it possibly have to say to, to me in my life about the way I conduct sex? But I believe that as we align our perspective to God's and choose to apply biblical truth to our lives, our approach to sex will be healthier and it'll be more satisfying, actually, in the long run, if we actually align our perspective to God's and apply biblical truths, which is what I want to get into tonight. You guys excited about this? We're going to jump in? Yeah? Uncharted waters, you know? Here we go. I want to talk about three perspectives on sex, because it's so important that we get our, our view on this right. The Bible wants to orient our minds in a particular way about this important thing, and we need to, to figure out the best way to, to look at this. Number one, sex is good. <laughs> Just, I'm not, that's the first point. Okay, I know, I know. It sounds, to me even, it sounds like I'm being facetious. It sounds like I'm kind of, you know, being kind of clever, like, Okay, yeah, you know. This sounds obvious, perhaps, right? This is just a thing that we're sort of led to believe in a general sense. Okay, that's good. Haha, good joke, David. But it's not, it may not seem like a profound observation, but I, I want to get to something with this. Because due to our distortion of God's ideal for a lot of things, especially and as well as for sex, we often either undervalue sex or overvalue it. Our distortion causes us to undervalue or overvalue it. And so my, my goal in saying that sex is good, okay, thanks, it's like I'm re- I want to reset this to the biblical standard of it is good in ways that I'm going to get into, but it is not God, and it is not crude. It is not a problem. It is not something that is to be ashamed of, necessarily. There is you know, certain appropriate ways of handling it and talking about it or whatever. And, uh, but that's, that's the goal here. Sex is just, it is good. <laughs> and so on one hand, the, the obvious one to me is that our culture tends to treat sex as ultimate. It is considered the utmost reality to achieve. Ah, you gotta have this. And honestly, like, when we step into puberty, <laughs> you know, and like hormones, and we step into like, you know, high school and all these different things, a lot of things are swirling around culturally, socially, and inwardly going, this is like the most important thing. And that might not be necessarily the case for you, but for a lot of people, it's like this sex thing is driving our whole world. (laughs) You know, that's sort of this almost evolutionary take that they have toward this. But, But what's wrong with that? Is there something wrong with this? I think there is. John Piper says, It is inevitable that the human heart, which was made to be staggered with the supremacy of Christ, but instead is drowning in a sea of banal entertainment, will reach for the best natural buzz that life can give. Sex. And so, the idea here is that just by our nature... When God is not in our midst, when God is not in our heart, it just, that makes the most sense to us. It's like, this feels very good. I need to get as much of this as possible. And I need to tell all my friends that they need to, you know, in whatever ways that we might more subtly do that. And so, but really, this is idolatry. 
This is what the Bible calls idolatry, when we make a God out of something that is not God. Another author puts it this way, if God is out of the picture, sex can seem like as good a God as any. Sex can seem like as good a God as any. And so, that's what we see here. However, what's the problem with this? John 10.10, Jesus says that abundant life is found in him. He came so that we could have abundant life. He's not talking about sexual desire or sexual satisfaction. He's talking about just him having his way in your heart, in your life, because he loves you. And he chose to sacrifice himself for you. We're going to get into some more of this, but the abundant life is not found in sexual gratification. And that's the first kind of extreme we need to get squared away in our head. And on the other hand, there are ways that sex is, is devalued, is degraded. And <clears throat> I want to talk about this because I guess the, the, the thing I want to highlight here, um, even though I don't want to, <laughs> the thing I want to highlight here is, is, I guess, purity culture or cultural Christianity that has historically sent the message to people and perhaps especially to women that those who have committed sexual sin or engaged in promiscuity of any kind are, are impure and tainted. I, I gotta cover this because this is a lot of people's lived experience. And you might have experienced the, the shame that might, is, is heaped onto people by even people that represent Christ. And I am not in, I'm not here to do that. Because, and so people have a lower view of sex because of the pain that they experience, the shame, and the guilt, too, that comes with this. And so the reality is, here's the truth that I want you to know, is that all, all, have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. The Bible just says that. Which means that I'm in no position to get on my high horse or to be self-righteous with you about any kind of impurity that might be in your life and not mine. Because all, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are impure and fall short of the glory of God. And we're all in need. We're all in desperate need of the purity and the holiness and the righteousness and the love that only God provides in this way. And so Jesus, he replaces that shame with honor. Jesus replaces shame with honor. And so if there's any kind of shame or guilt that resides in your heart as a result or as associated with sex and the way that either inwardly or externally you have been told is, is applied to you, that does not have to be the case because Romans 8, 1 says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's now no condemnation. There's now no shame or guilt for those who are in Christ Jesus. So that's true of you if you're in Christ Jesus. And so I want to encourage you to take that step. If that's the step you need to take, 
understand that that is the freedom from shame, even though people have, in the name of Christ, in some way, heaped that shame upon you. And I don't want, Jesus does not want you to feel that way. And so sex is far greater than being associated with our shame and our ugliness. And so it is, in fact, a beautiful thing. It is designed by God to be enjoyed by his creation within the context of marriage. That's what we see in the Bible. Genesis 1, 27, 28, 31 says, So God created man. This is the beginning of the Bible, first chapter. God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Then have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God saw everything that he had made, including sex. And behold, it was very good. And, and there's a statement there. And God blessed them, right? God gave them a gift. God blessed them in this way. He says, God said to them, be fruitful and multiply. How do you think that works? Go, go like two more steps ahead in your mind. Go, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You be fruitful, multiply by having sex. And so this is something that is a gift from God. And in this context, it's a, it's a command from God. In, for these, the first two people, the married people that he put on the earth, God says, be fruitful and multiply. And do, do this. <laughs> you have to multiply yourselves. And then I have one more verse here that I've been dreading. Um, Proverbs 5, 18 through 19 says, let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. Let her breasts satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. And so, I guess as we see here, this is not just procreation. <laughs> you know, this is enjoyment and delight in the beloved, in the wife of your youth, in the husband of your youth, whatever. And this, this is what we see. It's like God wants us to enjoy this in the context that he has designed, that he has created lovingly, not to get you down, but because it is his be in his best interest for you. It's in your best interest. <laughs> and so... Just understand this in Proverbs 5. It's like this is something that we, God wants us to, in a way, celebrate in that correct context. Okay. A biblical, before I move on, a biblical understanding of sex elevates it from the ugliness of shame and lowers it from the pedestal of idolatry. I'm going to say that again. A biblical understanding of sex elevates it from the ugliness of shame and lowers it from the pedestal of idolatry. Second, sex is sacred. First point, sex is good. Second, sex is sacred. Now, like I said, God extends grace to those who have gone against his design for sex, whether they realize it or not. God has grace for people. But also, sex is a unique part of his creation. That he has 
is placed restrictions on. It is dear to God's heart. And in that way, it is sacred. It is something that we should not take lightly. And so we need to understand that God does want the best for us, and he also wants the best for marriage. He wants the best for sex in the particular designs and the confines he has graciously, lovingly, intentionally put them in. Hebrews 13.4, give honor to marriage. Some translations say the marriage bed. Yeah. Give honor to marriage and remain faithful to one another in marriage. God will surely judge people who are immoral and those who commit adultery. Once again, Romans 8.1, there is no, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so this judgment, this condemnation, this does not apply to those who are in Christ Jesus, who are followers of Christ. But it tells me that he takes this, he takes this seriously. And especially if you are a follower of Christ, we need to make sure that we're careful about the way we handle sex, we handle sexuality in our life. And, and part of that is because sex forms a special bond between two people. It forms a special bond between two people. And God has designed monogamous marriage for the sake of an exclusive bond between two people to be enjoyed for their lives till death do them part. And so uh, an author named Ben Patterson says, for the sake of sex, we must restrain sex until the right time. This is not the fun point, I understand this. But we need to restrain it until the right time for the sake of sex. And then in Song of Songs, this is a book of the Bible that's just about two lovers, mostly just talking about each other in sometimes graphic detail, but it's in the Bible. I, I'm not going to take it out. Song of Songs 8.4 Song says, this is a, the woman in this... In this um, picture of love here. She says, young women of Jerusalem, I charge you, do not stir up or awaken love until the appropriate time. Until the appropriate time. There is an appropriate time for love and sex that God has put into place. And so when we awaken it or excite it or even try to just do something that sort of toes the line, you know, I'm going to try and do as much as I can sexually without it being like considered you know, quote, unquote, sex. If you're trying to toe the line, then God knows your heart. He knows that you're not trying to be faithful. You're just trying to get away with whatever you can. Once again, to, pl- to please a sinful desire, a self-centered desire that is within you, within me. And so self-control and restraint, self-control is a fruit of the Spirit. And so the Spirit wants to put that self-control within you to help you because it's hard. Because we are living in a time where this, this idea of waiting for marriage is pretty weird. But God commends it and commands it. And I'm recommending it to you. And then finally, uh, for this point, in a book called Sex, Dating, Relationships, the authors say, Just as Christ reserves himself spiritually for his spouse, the church, so too we are called to reserve ourselves sexually for a husband or wife. And so if you are not yet married, which is probably most of you, it is by God's design intended for you to reserve yourself for your husband or wife. There's so much grace available to you if this is not a, if this has not happened in the past. But you are here and you are in the present and you're hearing this. 
and you have the opportunity to walk forward in the grace of God and in the spirit-controlled power of God to reserve yourself from here on out for that husband or wife that may be waiting for you in the future. Third, sex is symbolic. Sex is symbolic. And so this is kind of, was I guess implied in the previous quote I mentioned. But before moving on, I want to think about for a second, why did God create sex? Like, think about that with me for two seconds. Why did God create sex? And in all the detail that comes with that, and all the, how this works, why did God create sex for humans specifically? Was he up in heaven thinking, let's spice things up. Let's just, you know, you know what would be crazy? <laughs> sex. <laughs> he wasn't thinking that. So what was, what was he thinking, you know? This is a strange thing that we're dealing with. Well, there, here's a pretty good answer from the, same, from the same book I mentioned earlier. It's up on the screen. Marriage and sex are powerful illustrations of the union that exists between Christ and the Christian. And they were created specifically for that purpose. Marriage and sex are powerful illustrations of the union that exists between Christ and the Christian. And they were created specifically for that purpose. It is an illustration. It is a symbol. It is a metaphor for Christ and his church. Or Christ and the believers. Christ and his people. Those who are followers of him. And so, there is a past and present and future reality in all this that I want to highlight before, for you in this idea of sex being a symbolic act that God has specifically designed to be a symbolic gesture, a symbolic thing that we do that displays, that symbolizes God, a particular truth of God. So, in Genesis 2, the second chapter of the whole Bible... It says this, and it's talking about the union of the man and woman. It says, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. One flesh. Yeah, once again, I think you might know what I'm, what I'm talking about here. They become one flesh. This is a part of the marriage union, and they become one flesh. This pattern of marriage was placed way back in the Garden of Eden. And God puts it there. And then a lot of things happen. Humanity sins against God, and the fall occurs. And, and then God promises restoration for mankind in spite of their sin. And then he sends restoration through in the form of Jesus Christ, who lived and died and was resurrected in order to save humanity from their sin. And so... In Ephesians, the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, after all that had taken place, Paul writes, Paul the Apostle writes this. He quotes Genesis 2. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. So here is the biblical evidence for this idea that this is an illustration of God's connection with us as we follow him, 
as we choose to be a follower of Christ. That is the present reality that we're living in. But we're not in heaven yet. We're still here. And while we are united with Christ in a sense, in terms of our, our spirit-filled life, our abundant life that we get to experience because of what he did for us, in the future, in the book of Revelation, chapter 19, it has this to say about this union. It says, let us be glad, rejoice, and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb, that's Jesus, has come and his bride, the church, has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure. For the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. And he said to me, right, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. I'll stop there. Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. That is where the full marriage of us, of, Jesus, of his church, the bride of Christ, and Jesus is united once and for all, for all of eternity. And not, while not sexually, that is where our, our final intimacy with God is is found. And any intimacy that we experience with God here on earth, in, in a, once again, in a way that is not sexual, but it's just it's a matter of our connection with him, we will have a new connection with him that is so much more profound than we can even imagine right now. And so that's when our full illustration will be realized. And so every marriage and every act of sex within marriage according to God's guidelines, brings glory to God by being a reflection of Christ and his church united together in the future at the marriage feast of the Lamb. And, uh, just by way of doing a different spin on it, every distortion of sex and sexuality is not glorifying to God. It is not a picture of this coming union is not a picture of Christ in his church. And so my goal here is not to tell you all these different reasons why you shouldn't have sex before marriage. I'm not trying to do that. I'm trying to help us understand if we're trying to bring glory to God in our life as a follower of God, then we want to represent him before the world and before ourselves, before our spouse, in a way that is according to his design which is once again for his glory for your benefit. Before I finish, I want to mention some applications. My whole point here, my main point here was I really wanted to get into some perspectives because a lot of those things get really confusing in the culture that we're in and socially, right? And so I want to get into some brief applications regarding sex. And I got four of these. I start with letter R. It's really clever of me. First, receive the holiness of Christ. Receive the holiness of Christ. This is where it all starts. I don't, don't move on to the other steps until you receive the holiness of Christ, if you have not done that already. Once again, all of our impurity that is just a part of our nature, that we have committed against God, and that is true of every person here, that can all be washed away in the blood of Christ, in his sacrifice, in the holiness that he bestows on us by no power or merit of our own. 
Romans 13, 14, but put on, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so the first step in our, in our quest for holiness and walking right before God with regard to sex is putting on the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time and then every day choosing to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Second, repent from past and present distortions of sex. Repent from past and present distortions of sex. Now, this is important. I don't, I don't take this lightly. This is something that is, like I said, important to God and is sacred. And thus, anything that we have done, as painful as it might be, we do need to offer to God because he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, to cleanse us. But we first need to confess that to him. We need to repent from it and choose. Repent means just to turn the opposite direction from where we were going. Instead of seeking sex to gratify my desires, I'm now living in the boundaries of his design. And that is where we want to be. Psalm 51.10 says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. We need his help. We need him to forgive us, and we need him to restore us and to create in us a clean heart. Psalm 51, I mean, it's, it's on your paper, Psalm 51.10. If there is, if this is something that you're still struggling with and you're kind of, you're wanting to repent of this, but you don't know how, Psalm 51 is a great chapter to get into these things, to, to offer up to God, like King David, who wrote that psalm, who chose to sin against God through sexual immorality, and he offered this prayer, this poem, this psalm to God, saying, Create, among other things, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit within me. We need his help and we need his forgiveness. Third, reevaluate. Third, reevaluate your mental, visual, and situational patterns. Maybe other ones, I don't know. I just came up with three. Reevaluate. What this means is. That we want to make sure that we're not setting ourselves up. If, if you are truly wanting to receive Christ's holiness and repent and therefore walk in a way that is pleasing to God, we need to make sure that the things that we choose to think about, to dwell on, to watch on TV or to listen to or view on social media, we need to make sure that this is not going to cause us problems. And this is a huge, I would say especially on social media, it's just this, this area where we are so just affixed to whatever's on the screen. And this is a huge area for a lot of people where they, they, they kind of miss the mark and they stumble in this area of sex. And it must be in your thought life. And you have to think about the situations you put yourself in to make sure that you are staying on track is what God wants for you. Second Timothy 2 22 says, so flee youthful passions. That's lusts, right? Flee youthful passions and lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. That last part is pretty important, too. Along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. This is not something your, you know, this area of your life, in terms of sex and your thought life and all these things, 
It's not something I recommend sharing with everybody, but there are people in your life, perhaps somebody who is discipling you or meeting with you or helping you. And if if there is no person like that in your life right now, then make sure that that ends up on your Connect card or something that you are asking that somebody would do this because that is a really helpful way to to, to walk in, to a further walk with God, basically. And then, and so that's going to help as you share things with, with somebody who can help you, who can kind of help you to figure out, okay, what are, what are some things that need to go for my life? Then make sure that you are fleeing youthful passions with, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And then finally, refrain, number four, refrain from stepping outside the boundaries God designed for sex. I'm really sorry if I feel like, I feel if I sound like I'm a broken record here, but I don't want to make this about do's and don'ts, but God has a perfect plan and a perfect design for everything in life, and it's, and it's particularly about sex. And so I want to honor what God has to say about these things in his word, and so we are to refrain from stepping outside those boundaries. And hopefully I've kind of shed a little bit of light on what those boundaries are. Perhaps you're already somewhat aware of them. If you can read, you can read scripture. But here's a pretty good verse that helps us to understand this general idea. And then we'll be done. Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said, You shall not commit adultery. That is, having sex with someone who is not your spouse. Okay, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman or person with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her or him in his heart. There are three words at the end there. In his heart. Now, what's going on in your heart right now? What's going on in your heart in general about sex? Once again, are you trying to toe the line or are you trying to honor God and love the Lord your God with your heart soul, mind, and strength. And so, this is something we need to examine. Psalm 139 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. And so, we can ask God. He can help you to find these areas that you need to be careful in. So we need to refrain from stepping outside these loving, gracious, divine boundaries for Six. Let's pray together. Father, thank you so much for this this gift that we may or may not fully understand at this moment, but Lord, you have given it to mankind in a particular context. And I ask that you would um, just help us, Lord to grasp these things better, that you would put truths on our hearts to take action on these things and to realign our perspective with you and your perspective on things. I acknowledge that you are the creator, the designer of the universe, and your ways are far, far, far above my ways. And so we look to you in your word and we ask that your spirit would convict us of things that need to go so that we can honor you, that we can better illustrate your design and better illustrate your relationship with us, your church. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.